Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. I thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I pray that may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. I'm happy to be on the territory of Treaty 6 within a few miles of my home, Treaty 8, the land of the Cree, the Dene, handful of Haudenosaunee and the Métis, and I'm thankful to be here preaching. I, I preached in the Stony Plain Alliance Church back in the old building years ago. Maybe some of you were there, and if you were, it's glad to be with you again. Cree spirituality, the way that the Cree look at the world, begins with, it's a good world. But we understand that something has gone wrong. And uh, in May 2021, uh, Kamloops Indian Residential School, they found 215 unmarked graves in June 24th of that same year, Kaosis First Nations, which is east of Regina, Saskatchewan, using ground-penetrating radar, found 700 and some unmarked graves. And we were in despair as people. And for many in Canada, it was the first time they began to actually believe that the stories that the residential school survivors had told were true and that it really was as bad as they had said. There is something in us that wants to pull back from pain. And even hearing about pain, sometimes we want to just shut down. But I'm going to ask that you Stay with me, and together, let's lean into this pain. Some of you might wonder, why do you talk about those hard things at the beginning of Advent? This is despair. This feels like crushing of hope. I talk about these things because in the midst of this, with the pushing in of darkness, this is still the season of hope. My text today is the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which is always a challenge. The first time I preached on my internship in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and I think it was in 1991. I tried, my first sermon, I tried to preach through the whole Bible. That was a mistake. <laughs> so I've cut it down to 11 chapters. It's a beautiful world. Genesis begins with the, just like the Cree, the way the Cree see the world, Genesis begins in the same way. It's a beautiful world. It's a story of harmony. It's, it's our creation story. It tells how we're related to the earth. God has made a beautiful world, and in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, we have the sevenfold goodness of creation where God 
makes something and then he divides it and then he says it's good. It's good and it culminates in the end of chapter one. It's very good. It's very good. But something goes wrong. Something goes wrong. It's a beautiful creation. It's a picture of hope, but it ends in despair. Genesis 3, 3 through 11 is the story of sin permeating society. And society is unable to stop its spread. In Genesis 3 particularly, we see the beginning of the corruption or the twisting of every relationship that we have. The first sin in Genesis 3 ruins the relationship with the land. The first sin, sometimes people miss. A friend of mine, he's Cherokee, Randy Woodley. He's the first guy I heard say this. He said, the first sin is a violation against the environment. For the creator tells human beings how to live in right relationship with creation. He says, I've made all these trees, and of any of the trees you may eat the fruit of except this tree. Do not eat the fruit of this tree, for in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. And human beings, being what they are, eat that, violate that tree, treat it with disrespect, and sin enters the world. And our relationship with the land is cursed. Our relationship with society is damaged. The relationship between parents and children is damaged. The Creator says, because of what you've done, he says to the woman, your pain in childbirth will greatly increase. And I think it's a pretty small reading to think that's just talking about when a baby comes out of a woman. But the pain of raising kids, it will be greatly increased. And the relationship between genders will be characterized by conflict, with one gender, gender trying to dominate the others. And at the same time, there will be this almost uncontrollable desire for power and control becoming the quest. Captured in the writings, perhaps, of the atheist prophet Nietzsche, who says that really the only thing that we can really take for granted is the will to power and the quest to try to dominate. And that will to power would become the thing that inspired the far-right racism and fascism of Nazi Germany. It becomes the thing that inspires Stalin, communist China. But it shows up in all nation states as they make death their idol as William Stringfellow wrote in the 1970s. He said that the mark of the spirit of the Antichrist is an idolatry of death. He noticed that a government began to use death as a way to manufacture consent. That's what happens when, that's why sometimes governments try to use fear to control. It's an idolization of death. And then they try to order society using death as a tool. This is against the creative work of God. And relationship with society continue to deteriorate. And their relationship, the human relationship with themselves are damaged. 
and instead of enjoying the experience of their creator, seeing exactly what they were like, it says that the it says that God used to like to walk in the garden in the evening and enjoy the evening breeze. And in that story, human beings no longer are there to be with him, but they hide. They hide. They try to hide and they and they actually feel self-contempt for themselves as they try to hide. And you know the story. God says, where were you? I looked for you, but you, I couldn't find you. And they said, we were hiding, but we were ashamed. We were naked. They broke the command of God and violated the tree. They violated the command of God, yet they don't actually feel shame for doing that. They feel shame for being who they were created to be. They feel ashamed because intimacy is the experience of having someone see exactly what you're like and still loving you. And that's how God made people. And yet when God was there, they tried to hide from him because they could not stand that intimacy with their God anymore, because they were ashamed of themselves. And the relationship with themselves was corrupted. And of course, the relationship with God is damaged. And when I read this passage, it's not just with the Creator it's damaged, but with all invisible things. For the serpent is really a spiritual being in the Genesis story. It says that I will put enmity between your descendants and the serpent. He also says he puts an angel as a guard with a weapon of power to keep humans from coming back to the garden. And ultimately, they are driven from the presence of the close relationship with the Creator and they become a fractured family. Their spirituality is fractured. Their personal relationship are fractured. And they're homeless. And they're landless. And they wander. And they wander. A picture of hope ends in a picture of despair. Of course, the slow set of spread of sin continues. And it reaches another point, low point in the story of the woman and her children, Cain and Abel. It's another story of hope, another story of despair. Our first mother has a child. It's interesting because she says, with the Lord's help, I have created a man. Cain. She has Cain, and then she has Abel. And you know the story. They both grow up, one a beef farmer and one a grain farmer. And they have different approaches to bringing offerings. The focus of the story is not on the kind of offering, by the way, I don't think. But the focus is, the focus is on the response of Cain to the instruction of God. After, after discipline. He, he does something. We, all we know is something. He does something and his uh, sacrifice isn't accepted. And the creator speaks to him. And he says, it's a discipline. He says, look, if you, do, if you do good, you'll do okay, won't you? And he says, sin is crouching at your door, but you can overcome it. 
But instead of that, Cain asks his brother to go out into the field, and then he kills him. He gets mad and kills his brother. Abel's not doing anything wrong, but Cain wants what Abel has, harmonious relationship. But Cain tries to take it by using death, and he kills his brother. And then he buries him in an unmarked grave to hide his guilt and shame. But Creator knows this, and he knows his brother. My friend Howard Jolly, who's the director of the First Nations Alliance Churches of Canada, he wrote a song, he sang a song to me once. He based his song on Genesis chapter 4, the story where God comes to Cain and asks him, where's your brother? And Cain replies, how should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? The creator replies, what have you done? Your brother's innocent blood cries to me from the ground. The voice of those in unmarked graves are a prophetic call for repentance in Canada, to turn away from death and to turn to life. It's interesting, I was remembering this. You gotta understand that the early church for the first 60 years of the, of first 30 years of the church, probably till the year 60, there is no New Testament writings per se. But scripture is the Hebrew scriptures. That's the scripture, the Old Testament. And the practice of the, uh, of the church was to see Jesus. If anywhere they could see Jesus in the Hebrew scriptures, they did. They did. Jesus remembers this story of Cain and Abel. Luke's gospel tells us tells those who think they are religious, Jesus is speaking to those who think they are religiously pure and righteous. He's talking with the Pharisees. I'm a minister. I have an earned doctorate from the University of Toronto, Wycliffe College. And I, every time I read these, I understand that he's talking to me. He's talking to me. When you think that you are righteous, and you think that you have a religion that's pure. That's when you're in danger of making some of the mistakes. Jesus is talking to these Pharisees. And he says, he remembers this story and he says to them, I'll pick it up partway through. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles. Some of them they will kill, and other they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. And here is Jesus, another prophet like Abel, calling in his actions and in his words, to turn to life. But the religious people just want to keep seeking to use violence and death to further their own desire for their religion and for their nation. 
They want to make Israel great again. They want more freedom. And in their desire, many of them will turn away from life and proper relatedness and they will begin to think that killing Jesus is the only way to save their nation. Caiaphas, the high priest, will say, don't you understand that it's better that one man die for the whole nation so we don't lose the whole nation? And they begin to think that killing Jesus is the only way to save their nation, and they will conspire with the Gentile nation of Rome to put Jesus to death. If that doesn't sound like the residential schools, I'm not sure what else I can say. We remember these things today because in the midst of this despair, the Creator continues His work of creating and recreating again and again and again. Even in the midst of this, God cares about Cain. God is still looking for repentance and speaks to Cain each time, giving him the opportunity to repent and confess. Repentance is turning from death to life. It's turning from death to life. It's to stop pursuing things that destroy relationships and to turn to things that renew relationships, restore relationships. But Cain does not learn. He just keeps going down and society is unable to stop the trauma that continues. But this is where Christ comes. Even in the midst of religious bigotry, Jesus cares for the scribes and the Pharisees. Even in the guilt of Canada, Creator cares about all the people in Canada. This is why indigenous people, the elders continue to tell us to pursue reconciliation because there is no other way to guarantee a just society and a free society for our children and our grandchildren unless we come together, unless we heal, unless we heal. Even in the midst of the slope, there is hope. The covenant history is the creator making and remaking. Things go so bad, the world is reduced to chaos again. That's how you read, that's how you read Genesis. It's reduced to chaos again. In the beginning, it says that there was darkness and the Spirit of God was over the waters. Tohu, vohu, darkness and chaos. And with, by the time Noah... The flood comes. The earth is reduced to chaos again. And the earth is flooded. But in the covenant with Noah, the relationship with creation is put back again. God says, I will put my bow in the air. And every time you see it, you remember. I've made a promise. I will never destroy the earth again with water. The relationship with people begins to be put back together with the covenant of Abraham, the promise of many descendants, and through Abraham, all of the families of the world will be blessed through him. Many descendants, the promise of healing for a fractured family, many descendants, and a fractured world, and a fractured people. You will be a people. The story of Israel is that God took a people who were not a people, and he made them a people. And through them would bless the whole world. And the relationship with the Creator begins to be healed. Creator says to Abraham, I will be your God and you will be my people. And all the relations that are broken begin to be put back together. People, 
land, spirituality, and the relationship with self. To do that, Creator goes to another woman, Mary. Creator understands that he must send his son, but he cannot do it without the help of a woman. So, the, so, so as Creator relies upon the virgin earth to bring forth his son Adam, so Creator relies upon Mary, the virgin, to bring forth his son, Jesus. The perfect image of creation, fully human. The perfect image of God, fully divine. The picture of healed creation and healed humanity. Creator and creation meeting in perfect harmony. The destination of creation. This was always God's creative purpose. To take creation in its infancy, perfect but imperfect. Pardon me. Perfect yet immature. To grow into a harmonious picture of creator and creation in perfect harmony. And we see that in Christ. Creator and creation in perfect harmony, fully human, fully divine. Christ is the destination of creation, a mature picture of the beginning, an echo and an amplification of the sevenfold goodness that we see. And we see that in the person of Jesus. We see it in the person of Christ. And as we take communion this morning, we see it in the bread and the juice, which comes forth from the earth through the power of the Creator. Somehow, somehow through the power of the Creator mediates as we come together the presence of Christ, His body and blood. And we are in the upper room again, and we are in the garden again. And we are in the holy city when creation and creator meet in perfect harmony. And we, because we share this meal and have been baptized into the life, death, and resurrection, we eat our future creation and creator in perfect harmony. And that is the hope in the midst of despair. That is the hope. That is the hope. Restorative justice involves three things. You've got to tell the truth. God wants Adam and Eve to tell the truth. He wants Cain to tell the truth. The unmarked graves tell the truth. But you've got to listen. God says to Cain, you've got to master the sin that's right at your doorstep. Don't turn to violence. Violence is the illegitimate use of power and control to try to bring about your desires. Augustine said that's the essence of sin, is instead of focusing on God as our, the one who fulfills our desires, we seek to fulfill those desires ourselves. And we use power to do that. But the creative power God wants us to use is to listen and to feel and to begin to craft a plan to heal the relationships that are all around us. I think we can do that in three ways. Shared plan, and I think there's three things that we can do. I say this because whenever I go to speak about indigenous things, people say, what can I do? And that's how you're wired in Western society. 
It's how what you, we want to do something. That's how you're wired in Alberta. I grew up in Alberta. I was born here. One thing I learned is that the government can't fix anything. And if you're going to fix something, we're going to have to do it ourselves. And you got that kind of get her done sort of attitude. Well, there's three things we can do. Number one, we can heal the land. Anything that we can do to sort of think through how we can continue to be who we are and bring out the goodness of the earth and to heal, and heal relationships includes to do something about the, the damage that was caused through the residential schools and through other kind of traumatic things that happened. Work to heal the land. The unmarked graves remind us that a wound upon the land is a wound upon the people. A wound upon people is a wound upon the land. Second kind of thing we can do is get, get better at emotional literacy so that we can help people work through their trauma. That's why people mess up usually. They begin to hate themselves because they've had hard things happen to them. And they begin to think that no one cares about them. And they begin to hate themselves. And they think they deserve to suffer. They engage in all kinds of destructive behavior. But we can get good at listening to people. Helping them to know that Jesus not only loves them, but he likes them. Get good at anything that helps us to develop emotional intelligence, emotional literacy. And the third thing is we can come together and we can begin to project and talk about uh, uh, oneness, that we can come together and refuse to be polarized as people. But we can come together. A unity that doesn't devolve into another kind of denominationalism or sectarianism or another kind of sort of a voice, but that we're human. We're all human beings. We're all human beings. And if we can do that, I think that's what hope's about. That's what hope's about. I think that's why Jesus came. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.